today is Communion Sunday, and it's the first day, it's the first Sunday, and it's the first day of our 40 days of prayer and fasting. And it's, uh, it's a new year to seek the Lord in his presence. And uh, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, and we're going to do that at the end of this uh, talk as, a, as the end of the worship time, uh, we're to examine ourselves and confess and repent of our sin, realign ourselves to God and his ways for our life. You know, God delights when we do this because he loves us and he knows he and he understands the temptation and the sin that is all around us, that we get polluted by, that we fall into. And that is why we live in this world. We can get drawn away from our sincere and pure devotion to him. <clears throat> Today, I want to talk to you about repentance, specifically about uh, deeper repentance, as opposed to just acknowledging we have sin. Repentance involves confession of our sin, but it also has even a deeper meaning. If you look at the word repentance in the New Testament, when you look at it in the Greek, it's a compound word. It's metanoia. Meta, the first part of that word, meaning change, like metamorphosis. Uh, meta means change, and noah means to think or comprehend with our heart and our mind, both of these that we need to connect to. In other words, metanoia or repent means to uh, recognize our sin as sin before a holy God, to turn away from it, to change our thinking and the motivation of our heart in a trajectory that is that orientates us towards God in such a powerful way. The Erdman's Bible Dictionary defines repentance as this, a complete change of orientation involving judgment upon the past. That means we make a judgment about our sin, that it's wrong, and a deliberate redirection for the future. You see, in deep repentance, we comprehend and acknowledge in a deep way how our sin has affected our relationship and our connection with God and even with others. When deep repentance is made, it turns us from sinful attitudes and actions and leads us to experience his forgiveness, acceptance, his security and knowing that we're forgiven, significance and purpose for a new way of living with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. There begins to be a thirst and a passion of our soul for God and knowing him and following him. I don't know if you've ever heard of Adoram Judson. He became a pioneer of American foreign missions as a young man when he was a rebel, but he was when he, but he was a rebel when he grew up. He came to follow the Lord eventually. But when he was a young man, he finished at the top of his college class and headed to New York City to seek fame and fortune. He had renounced his father's faith, his Christian upbringing, uh, he renounced it all. He said that his new education that he had gotten at college had taken him beyond such primitive notions. But in 1808, at the age of 20, Judson didn't feel right about his life. He left New York City disillusioned. He headed to his home in Massachusetts, stopping at an, uh, for a night at a roadside inn. And Judson had trouble sleeping that night because a man in the next room was critically ill and moaning and groaning in pain. And obviously the guy in the next room was dying. 
In the darkness of his room, Justin thought about the possibility of his own death, whether he was prepared for it. At times during the long hours, he thought about returning to the Lord. But then he imagined what his college friend Jacob Eames would have said. They had both vowed in college not to follow Christ or Christianity. So early the next morning, Justin went to the hotel manager and he asked him this, that poor man in the room next to me, how is he? And the manager said he passed away early this morning. So sad, he wasn't old at all. He was a young man about your age. For some reason, Justin asked, what was his name? It would seem to be a foolish question because Justin really didn't know anyone in that section of the country. The manager replied, his name was Jacob Ames. There was no mistake in the name or the identity. It was this young college friend whose religious skepticism had turned Justin against Christianity. Well, he returned to Massachusetts and to his father, but it took three months of intellectual struggle before he made a deep repentance and a rededication of himself to God. Several years later, God called and used Adoram Judson as a missionary to Myanmar, where he created the dictionary in the Burmese language. He also translated the entire Bible in their language, and it's still used today. Over a hundred years later, hundreds of thousands of people actually became literate because of his dictionary, but they also came to faith in Christ because he translated the Bible for them. Isn't it great to know that a person who truly repents before a holy God, they begin to understand the gospel, they begin to understand forgiveness, and their whole life that was disorientated is reorientated. I don't know if you remember back in March, I had this jar. Remember the jar that we had the first couple of weeks when we did the Zoom services, we're still doing them. But this jar was made of muddy water. But when it settled down and was still, all the sediment, all the stuff and the grime and the dirt went down to the bottom and the water became clear again. That's the same thing that happens in our life when we're quiet before the Lord, when we repent of our sin, he makes things that were disoriented, oriented to his nature and his will for our lives. The deeper, more sincerely we repent, <clears throat> the greater the restoration and the change of mind and heart. You know, today, I want us to turn to the last book of the New Testament. It's called, the, it's the book of Revelation. And um, the title of the book in Greek actually is the word apocalypse, meaning, and the translation of that, literal translation, is the unveiling or the uncovered, uncovering. And we translate that to English as revelation, you know, when we have a revelation. But this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating book about God uncovering his plan and purpose for his people and revealing his second coming, but more than that, revealing what's in people's hearts. He's the only one that is able to do that. It was written about 60 years after the resurrection of Christ, but it contains words of the one who was dead, but is now alive again, who's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the living Jesus Christ. And it's written to seven churches, and of those seven churches, the Lord rebukes five of them. He calls them to repent. 
Even though they're believers in Christ, they're called to a deeper repentance. In other words, some of them had started out well in their faith and commitment to Christ, but along the way, they got sidetracked in their pure devotion and passion for God. And unfortunately, some of them were not even aware of how far they had strayed from God. I want us to look at two of these churches today because I think the message to them is applicable to us. In chapter 2 of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus. It started out as this great church. It was actually founded and pastored by the Apostle Paul. And then he had discipled Timothy to become a pastor there. And even the Apostle John, the author of Revelation, was there for several years as one of the apostles that lived at that church and ministered in that church. And so the Apostle Paul is now, uh, the Apostle John has been banished to the island of Patmos. He's uh, been taken there as a prisoner, but God begins to reveal to him this message that he has for the churches. And this is one to Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim that to be apostles but are not and have found themselves false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. You see, Jesus speaks to them with affirmation. He understands what they have done and what's pleasing to him. Ephesus was a, full, uh, was a city full of idols and other religions, as well as the occult practices. And they were a faithful, dedicated group of Christians who were in Ephesus, who worked hard and persevered. They kept the church free of false teachers and false doctrines. They even hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, a cult group mixing sexual immorality with religion. They hated the sin and not the sinner. I'm sure they thought they were doing great as a church and as leaders. They had endured hardship. Yet, just like the title of Revelation, God was going to uncover and unveil and reveal something hidden deep within their soul. Verse 4 says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken or left your first love. Whoa. You get that? In the NIV, it says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. What Jesus is telling his people is, you don't really love me anymore like you used to. You work hard, you persevere, but you don't love me or people like you used to the way that I had taught you to. You hate sin, uh, but you don't love me, and you've broken our relationship. And then he says this. He says, therefore, remember where you have fallen and repent. There's that word again. And repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you, what? Repent. And here Jesus is calling a church 
one of the premier churches of that time to a place of repentance. And this is what Jesus does often in our lives. He calls us to a deeper repentance. Remember, where are you falling? What does that mean? Take time to think, to reflect who the Lord is and where your love for him is. That word uh, to remember is used over 300 times in the Bible, and it's it's told to his people, and it also says that God remembers. He remembers us. He loves us, but he also calls us to remember and to love him. And then we're also to repent. That means choosing to place Jesus as the number one priority and love of our life. Uh, when we have replaced him with something or someone else, the best thing to do is admit it but to also determine with our mind and our heart and with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength to love him. Jesus always speaks the truth in love. Do you ever see that? Jesus is always so truthful, but he's also so loving. And even when we don't repent, even when we're uh, holding out, he still pursues us. But he also says, if you don't repent, I'm going to do something to you, Ephesus Church. I'm going to remove your lampstand. That represents spiritual insight, influence, blessing, uh, a light that they were to other people, the influence that they have around in their community. When I'm asking God to search my heart, to reveal to me ways I've strayed from him in thought and motivation and action, I try to be honest with where I'm at in my personal life and dealing with sins that can get a hold of my life. This is what can help us all to stay spiritual, healthy. We need to take inventory. We need to examine our lives and just come before the Lord simply and honestly and just to ask him, Lord, search me. If there's a cloud over our lives, a cloud of uh, shame or guilt, I don't want people to hear this message and just walk, walk away with a cloud of shame and guilt, but maybe you've even come here and you're just feeling just disoriented from God. You need to find out why that is. It could be a number of things. Uh, I'll name two of them. One is that you need to repent of sin in your life, that you've compromised, that you've rationalized in your life, and God is revealing that to you. The other thing is it can be a spiritual attack that the devil is telling you, you are not good enough to follow God. And it can be a combination of both of those things. But look at, this is what John chapter one says when it talks about examining ourselves. John chapter, first John chapter one, verses five through nine, first John chapter one, five through nine. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. At all, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, when we confess, it means, see, when we're walking in the darkness and then we realize it and we confess that to God, we agree that we've sinned. We make a judgment about our sin. When we don't confess our sin and repent of it, our intimate connection with God is damaged. First John is describing a person 
who thinks they're walking in the light, but they're actually walking in the darkness. And that's a dysfunctional relationship with God. That is like what Jesus was dead set against. That is hypocritical. Dysfunctional relationships with God are not good. And they're not good with people either. When people have developed an unhealthy pattern of communication, it results in dysfunction. Have you, you know, people that come from dysfunctional families can often fall back into the dysfunction. People manipulate, they lie, they disrespect, they insult, they avoid conflict, or they push each other's fear and anger buttons. Many times, people that have grown up in dysfunctional families repeat the patterns in their own families unless they remember, they recall what a sin is, and they ask God to change them, and they repent of their sin. Confessing our sin, confessing our dysfunction, turning from it, and beginning to live in the love and the truth of, that God has placed in us through Jesus Christ can make a tremendous difference in how we interact with God and with other people. Confession and repentance before a holy God brings us a sense of his forgiveness and reconciliation but it can have tremendous effects in how we relate to other people. If you find it's hard to live with the ones in your household, just don't blame the pandemic or something else. It really could be about the need for a deeper repentance in your own life. Don't blame somebody else for the actions that you're doing. Take a look at your own life. Look at what it says in 1 John Chapter one, verse eight, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, so he said, if you claim to be without sin, don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived by that. Confess it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing that God cannot forgive us for. You see, when we lose our first love, that means something else takes the place of our first love. And that first love has to do with our love for Jesus. You know, if we look at, a, at an example in a marriage, we know in a marriage that it doesn't work at all if a spouse begins a relationship with another person and says to their marriage partner, I have someone else moving in with us. Um, I, hope, I hope it's okay. You'll, you'll be fine with it, won't you? What's going to happen to that marriage? It's going to fall apart. The book of James says, when we love other things and we allow other things to take the place of Jesus, we commit spiritual adultery. And that's sin. Back to Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, and it says this at all the churches that the Lord speaks to. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. To the churches. He who has an ear, if we can listen, listen then to what God is saying. You see, when I was dating my wife, I listened to her all the time, enraptured by each conversation we had. I could tell if she was in a good mood or a bad mood, but my wife will tell you as I've gotten older, my listening skills have diminished. Uh, I really have to concentrate because we talk to each other so much we could finish each other's sentences and sometimes we just phase out, right? Let's admit it. Sometimes we're just not in each other's presence. 
But to be in the presence of the Lord, we need to have an ear that listens. We need to have our mind focused upon him. We need to allow his spirit to be at work in our lives. And a lot of times that means we need to quiet down and spend time in his presence, humbly talking to him, but also humbly listening to him. You know, at the end of each of these uh, churches that the Lord speaks to, he also gives them a promise and a challenge to him who overcomes I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He challenges his followers to overcome, to meet the challenges they face with him and his presence and power. I think that's really the way we want to live in 2021. We want to meet the challenges that we're all going to be facing with God. And if we do, we can overcome. We can be victorious. That's the promises of God. But you see, deeper repentance is what we need first. It leads to a restoration of our relationship with God. It's not, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about relational reformation. I'm not talking about behavior modification. It's about relational reformation. The Lord becomes the first love of our life again. That's what deep repentance brings about. There's one more church I want to look at briefly before we spend some time in silent confession and repentance and get our hearts prepared for communion. It's the last of the seven churches. It's the church of Laodicea. And it's in Revelations chapter 3, verses 14. It begins, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the ruler of God's creation. I love the way that what Jesus calls himself. I never noticed this till I began to study this verse. He calls himself the amen. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? That, God, that Jesus is the amen, the final word, the only person that can get it done. And he describes himself that he is the one that is um, the faithful and true witness. He's the one that speaks the truth. He's sovereign, and he has authority in all of our lives. And he says this to the believers there. He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot, meaning that they were on the fence. They really never made a deep commitment to him. Or if they had, they went away from that, and they became lukewarm. I wish you were either one of the other. And Jesus is talking about, uh, being strong, being refreshing. You know, if you get a cold glass of water, it's refreshing. Or if you get a hot cup of tea or coffee, it's refreshing. But lukewarm, not so good. So because of your lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus speaks to his people, believers living in darkness, thinking that they're walking in light, because they're physically, financially well off, they're healthy, but instead of producing, pursuing a deeper life in him, they're pursuing continued financial freedom, wealth, and prosperity. Listen to what he says to them. You say, verse 17, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize 
that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Wow, that is quite a rebuke. That is quite a direct statement from Jesus that he's saying they think they have it all together, but their soul is wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And this is what he says. He doesn't leave them there. And God never leaves us in the darkness, never leaves us in our brokenness. If we'll come to him, this is what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire. He's saying, my word, my promises, my presence is better than gold. It's refined in fire. So you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. God can clothe us in his righteousness, in his love, in his acceptance. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. He has the ability to heal us, to strengthen us in every challenge of life. You know what he's saying? I wish, I wish you would come and receive from me so that you'd be revived. So you'd experience the true riches of my love. I wish you were clothed in my righteousness. The very reason why I died on the cross for you. I wish you could be healed of your spiritual blindness. Laodicea had some of the finest gold clothing, salve and ointments for healings. They were known for that in their city. But the people, instead of uh, coming to God, and having him the very first and greatest love of their life, they had been straight, they strayed away and they went after the things of the world rather than the riches found in a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't saying that you can't be rich, that you can't be well off, but don't make that the passion of your soul. He needs to be the passion of our soul. And look at what he says. These this verse in these verses in chapter three, verses 19 and 20, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Why did Jesus speak so harshly to this group of Christians? Because he loved them. He loved them. He wanted to speak the truth in them. He wanted them to find him as the love of their life. And so he says this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and what? repent. There it is again. He's telling them to repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with them and they with me. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm standing at the door of your heart. You've placed me on the outside of your life now, but I want to come in and I want to fellowship with you. I want to be on the inside of your heart and in your life. He gives them an invitation to let them know that he's still pursuing them. Jesus is the one knocking on the door of our hearts, isn't he? He wants to renew us. He wants us to experience a deeper restoration and revival in our lives. You know, this past week, I was able on Christmas Eve to spend time with um, my family. And whenever we spend time, you know, around a meal with family or friends that we love, <clears throat> there's a warmth, there's a blessing to this, isn't there? 
I mean, when we can be honest and who we really are with people and feel comfortable and sense their joy and laugh and, and really communicate with each other, there is a joy to that. This is what Jesus is talking about. I'll come in, I'll fellowship you with you. You'll eat with me and I'll eat with you. But the king of the universe, he really wants to meet with us. He wants us to be earnest about our life. That means really serious about examining our lives, repent of things that just aren't worth our time or attention, or even that we're in bondage to that bring us away from his presence. And then he wants to be the center of our lives. He wants to be on the throne of our lives. He's the king. He deserves the throne. So I want to do this before we go to communion, before we finish our, um, our, our hear our last song of response. I want you to just quiet your heart right now. Close your eyes. And I just want you to enter in to the presence of the Lord right where you are, in your home, wherever you're listening. Be pause, just pause, be still. Recenter, reorientate your scattered senses on the promises and the presence of God. Lord, we need you. Lord, search our hearts. Lord, speak to us, even if you need to rebuke us, to discipline us, to reveal things in our lives that have taken the place of you in our lives. We repent of that. We renounce those things. We want you. We want you, Lord. We want you and your holy love to be involved, to be transforming us. And then think about relationships. Lord, is there anyone that I've sinned against, that I've slandered, that I have bitterness, unforgiveness, a hardened heart towards? Lord, in your presence right now, I choose to forgive them. I choose to forgive them. Help me to love them in your strength. Continue to be the one in my life, Lord, that gives me the strength to love you and to love others as you've called me to. So, Lord, have your way today. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're going to listen to our song of response. And then in that time, I just just continue in the presence of the Lord right here. And do some soul searching. Talk to him. If you want, worship along with the song. But it's a song about coming to Jesus, coming to the altar. And make this your your house, your home, wherever you are listening right now, make this the altar 
where you come to God, kneel before him and talk to him about your life. He so longs, so longs to renew us, to forgive us, to work in us a deeper passion and love for him. Amen.